Good morning, everybody. Good morning. There's a lot of you out there this cold morning. Shall we worship together? Stand and sing with us, please. One, two, three, four, and...
Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you on this first Sunday in February. And it's not cold anymore, so that's good. Good. (laughs) We have a few announcements to make. Our next Just for Guys meeting will be Thursday, February the 17th at 6 p.m. here at the church. We still have a few open dates on the flower chart, which which is located at the Welcome Center. If you would like to give flowers in honor of a loved one or to mark a special occasion, please check the chart to see if there is an open date that would work for you. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and it's on page 622 of your pew Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory." The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Let us pray. Loving God, we gather today to praise you, to tell of your love, and to give you thanks. We thank you especially this morning for the blessings of life and our duty in it. Open our hearts and our understanding today as we listen to and meditate upon your scripture. Teach us to walk in faith that your kingdom might be made known to all. Fill us with your love and grace as we celebrate communion this day. May we leave here reflecting your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now would you open up uh, your hymnals to 880 and let's recite the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and seen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from the light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us in our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered dead and was buried. On the third day, he arose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sin, for the resurrection of the dead in the life of the world. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I have announcements, which means we're going to open our ears so we hear them, or open your highlights because all the dates are in there, too. The other announcement I have is for uh, we are doing CPR training again this year. It is February 19th, also at 4 p.m. It starts at 4. However, differing from previous years when we've offered it to the congregation, it is a self-taught kit. So we will not be certifying anybody. We do not have a certified trainer teaching it. However, if you would like to refresh your knowledge of CPR, it is open to the congregation. If you would like to join us for that, just come on out. We do it to train our staff. So it is, it's for that, and then for anybody who wants to join us, I'm not doing a sign-up sheet since it's not a paid event, so you guys can just show up on February 19th at 4 for that refresher. The last one is we are restarting our Safe Gatherings training. Safe Gatherings is a program that we are required to use by the Rio Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church. It is not something that Jesse thought up on her own. Believe me, it is not something Jesse thought up on her own. But we are required to use it, and it is and to ensure that we are protecting the vulnerable children, youth, and adults in our congregation, to make sure that we are, in fact, a safe place for people to come and to worship, but not just on Sunday, every day that we have our church doors open or every event we do. So it is actually inc incredibly important that we follow this program and that we have members of the church that are trained for it. We currently have, Rhonda and Pastor might know, I think we have 10 people in the church who are safe gathering certified meaning that they have been background checked, they have been trained to watch for signs of abuse or for different things that might be a red flag that a child needs help or a vulnerable adult needs help, that they know what to do to report that situation and to create a safe place for that person that needs help. We only have 10 people in the congregation, and our goal is to have 30% of the congregation certified like that. So I am starting our training program again. It is a couple of steps. I know it takes time. And I understand that and I understand it's your time and you're volunteering it, but it is an important cause and we don't just use it for Sunday morning. It's not just for having volunteers in the children's classroom. It's for everything we do. For anybody who might go and visit somebody who is sick and in the hospital, technically we're supposed to be safe gathering certified because that person is then at that point vulnerable. So it's very important. Our first training for that will be on February 26th, also at 4 p.m. Saturdays, 4 p.m. That's across the board for this month, okay? And it's the step two training. There's three steps. Check your highlights. If you're not on highlights, yell at Pastor Jim or at me or Miss Rhonda, and we'll try to get your name on the email list. There are three steps. You do a background check. There's a PowerPoint online training, and then there's a webinar. It can be done entirely online. You don't even have to speak to me to do it. Or you can come and we can do it all together here and have a party and I'll feed you. So those are your, <laughs> those are some good choices there, right? So that on the 26th, we'll be doing the step two part. And I will have a sign-up sheet for that. But if you're interested, let me know and I will give you the information so you can get started on that. I think that's it. Do you guys want me to talk more? Okay. Children, come on up. Oh, man, I miss Sunday mornings. I'm thirsty. You're thirsty. Oh, goodness. All right. All right. So I have a question for you all. Have you ever been, hey, come on up here. Will you come be my friend? 
I like to have friends. I don't have enough. My kids have to hang out with me. So I have a question. You guys ready? Have you ever been distracted? Yes. Yeah. Do you have dis Do you have distractions in your house? Yes. Yep. Every single thing. What are some of the things that distract you? Video games. Dogs and video games. Oh, those are good ones. I just did. TV. I know somebody who turns into a zombie when the TV's on. Yes. What about toys? Are toys distracting? Kind of. They can be. What about friends? Can friends be distracting sometimes? Yes. <laughs> what about sports? If you're on a sports team or in, in music even, sometimes that can be a distraction, right? Because you get so focused on this one particular thing. But do you know what the problem with a distraction is? If it's not what you're supposed to be doing at that time, right? Maybe you're supposed to be doing something else. Maybe it's homework time or dinner time or family time. Chore time. Yes, chore time is easy to get distracted from. I hear you, right? That's me. Chores, like cleaning your room, darling. Yeah, it's easy to get distracted. But what happens is when we get distracted, we miss out on something, right? We miss out on the point of what we're supposed to be doing. We miss out on what's important. So if we're stuck upstairs watching TV and our whole family is downstairs hanging out together and cooking dinner, we missed out on that quality time with them, right? Or if we're supposed to be cleaning up a room and instead we spend the entire time playing and making a bigger mess, well, that means we're going to miss out on something else later because we didn't do what we were supposed to do at the time, right? Distractions are everywhere in life. Let me tell you, they don't get any easier as you get older. They just get bigger and more expensive. Distractions are everywhere. And they even happen in our faith. Did you guys know that? Did you know distractions can happen inside a church, in a religion? That's crazy, isn't it? I Googled, just, just as I was sitting there, before we came up to saying, I Googled how many denominations there are of Christianity in the entire world. Does anybody want to take a guess at that? 45,000 Christian denominations worldwide. 45,000. A denomination is a separate belief system in the church. We are Methodist. Our friends next door are Presbyterian. There's Catholics across the street. We're all Christians. We all believe in God. We believe that Jesus was God's son. But we have a different way of believing that, right? And we have created different churches. We have fragmented that center belief that we have one God. And he sent his only son down to earth to live with us and to walk with us, to, to eat and breathe and sleep, to grow up, to feel things, and then to take all of our sins on him to the cross for us. So we don't have to do that. That is the, that is the center of Christianity, right? That is the main point of this book right here. If you read through this book, everything points to that story. Everything in the beginning sets it up, and everything after it says this is why it happened. God had a plan all along. And you know what? I actually think this book is a love story. Do you know that? I think it's a love story because that entire story talks about God's love for us. The center message of the story is that God loved the world so much, you guys know this first, that he sent his one and only son. So whoever believes in him will not die we won't perish, we won't disappear, but we'll have eternal life with him. Because he didn't want to condemn the world. He loved the world. He didn't want to punish us. He doesn't want to punish us, right? He wanted to save every single one of us. And if that's not a love story, guys, I don't know what is. 
I don't know. But when you guys go out from this place, I want you to remember the main point of being a Christian. And that's the love that Jesus showed us, the love that God showed us, and the love that we are supposed to take out into the world. All right? Will you guys pray with me? Can we bow our heads, fold our hands, close our eyes? Let's say, dear God, we know you sent your son to live for us and to die for our sins. Help us to stay focused on the meaning of his life. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to exit out the side for spark worship. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. This is also the first Sunday of the Year of the Tiger, right? For those of you who are keeping track, right? Anyway, I was reading about tigers yesterday. There's only one kind of tiger, or there's only one species of tiger, and all the other ones that we name are just, you know, a little bit different, but genetically they're, they're pretty much tigers. Anyway, I don't know what that's got to do with anything. Today's Communion Sunday. Today's Communion Sunday, and I want to say a few, start that out by saying a few things about what John Wesley had to say about communion, because like Jesse pointed out, in the children's sermon, there are 45,000 different denominations of Christians. None of us know how to read Corinthians chapter 1, I guess. And one of those denominations is us Methodists, founded by John Wesley and his brother Charles. And one of, one of John Wesley's best sermons, I believe... You know, you can get a book of John Wesley's sermons and look at them if you want to. If you want to borrow one, you can ask me. But his sermon number 101, that's easy to remember because you just think about Corella DeVille, right? His sermon 101 is called The Duty of Constant Communion. The Duty of Constant Communion. John Wesley taught that we should take communion whenever we can as often as we can, as many times as we can. So why don't we just have communion once a month? It's, that's another story. But we don't have to, and if there was a uh, desire, we could have communion all the time. But John Wesley said, why? He said a lot of, pe a lot of people don't take communion because they say they are unworthy. That whole, that whole passage there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is actually where we get the, the words that we use when we go through communion, because chronologically, chronologically, that's the first time it was written down in something that became part of the Bible. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the other books of the New Testament, and the Old Testament for that matter, are not in chronological order. The New Testament was put together by a bunch of old guys that sat around a table and decided this is the way it should be, right? And um, they thought it would be important to put the Gospels first because the Gospel is the most important thing. And that's what we, we talked about when we said the Nicene Creed this morning, and we sang about it as well. And we're going to read about it here in a minute when we read today's Scripture reading. But chronologically, 1 Thessalonians is probably the oldest book in the New Testament. 
And First and Second Corinthians aren't too terribly far behind that, but record keeping wasn't real great back then. And studying as best we can, we think that, like I say, that First Thessalonians is chronologically, or, or should I say, written down first. And, and again, 1 Corinthians not too long behind that. But anyway, back to the subject at hand, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it tells us about communion and how we're supposed to go through it, there's a passage in there that talks about taking communion unworthily, and that you shouldn't take communion unworthily. And this is one of those places where denominations diverge because of how they interpret this. I personally interpret it as Paul saying, you know, if you get together at somebody's house and you're supposedly remembering the Lord, don't get drunk. And, and, and if you read that passage, you'll see where I get that. But John Wesley said, a lot of people don't take communion because they don't feel like they're worthy to take communion. And you know what he said, of course. He said, nobody's worthy to take communion. Right? And in one aspect, that's absolutely correct. But he said, why shouldn't we do what the Lord told us to do? He says, after all, it, it's almost like Jesus' dying request, if you will, because he instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before he was crucified. And he was talking to his disciples, and he told them to do this in remembrance of him. It's also, since we're talking about grace this morning as well, John Wesley had a term for certain things that help impart more grace to us, and he called those means of grace. And means of grace are, of course, the Lord's Supper, which is one of them. It reminds us that we're forgiven of our sins, and it gives us strength. It nourishes our soul, and it gives us encouragement to go on to perfection, in, in John Wesley's words. Because after all, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, what? Be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect, right? So, so, so that's the goal, that's the mark that's set up there for us to work toward. And Wesley said taking communion was one of the things that gave us grace, which helped us do that. Y'all know what grace is, right? Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's what grace is. We can call it unmerited favor. We can call it many things. But when you really get down to it, it's God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Our scripture reading this morning does come from Paul's first epistle to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a big, big city. Had two ports. Very, very important commercial center in the world at that particular time. And there were very few Jewish people in Corinth. 
Corinth is one of the places where, again, biblical scholars believe that the majority of the church was made up by Gentiles. A lot of places it talks about Paul going in and preaching at the synagogue, but Corinth, not so much. Consider the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which you also are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have become to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am not the least of the apostles, some translations say, for I am unworthy, back to what we were talking about a little bit ago, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, God of all, creator of all, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. Well, I wanted to spend a few more minutes talking about this whole idea of being unworthy. John Wesley said, are you unworthy to receive God's mercy and love? He said, are you unworthy to obey the Lord? I mean, after all, why wouldn't we do whatever the Lord commanded us to do? A good question. And then Paul says there that he wasn't worthy to be an apostle because he had persecuted the church. Now, I believe that some of you might from time to time feel unworthy. And I just want to remind you 
I don't think there's anybody in here who has overseen the killing of other Christians lately. Maybe so. Maybe some of you have done some things I don't know about. But Paul certainly did, right? But God's grace was big enough to take care of that. Because you see, Paul understood that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And he also understood that God loves each and every one of us very, very much. And he understood that even though he had stood there and watched Stephen while he was being stoned, God still had a place for Paul. He still had a place for Paul, and he had enough grace to accept Paul as he was and to work with him to make him something better, a new creation, someone useful for the kingdom of God. We're no different, right? Romans 3.23 reminds us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now God has given them grace, right? Given them grace. It's a gift from God. Then Paul says, God's grace has made me what I am has made me what I am. And what is he? He's one who proclaims the gospel, the good news, like he said there earlier. And what is the gospel? We just repeated it. He said it was handed down to him, and he handed it on to others, right? The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and he arose on the third day. Another little kicker here, right, is what? according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. Very, very important that that's in there. That's another reason I believe Paul was so instrumental in bringing forth the kingdom of God and proclaiming the gospel because he knew the Scripture. Paul probably knew the Scripture as well as anybody that was alive at his time. He was, he was certainly equal to anybody else as far as that goes. So he knew it and he proclaimed it. He had found God's grace and it was God's grace that made him what he was. Now I want to take just a second to think about what Randy read out of Isaiah while we're talking about God's grace and God making us what we are and God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. That passage in Isaiah always strikes me, right? He said, what? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. Gee whiz, I think that could apply to us pretty well, right? Now, 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 some people say, you know, that, you know, this is probably the worst time ever, right? Well, I think that Isaiah probably thought it was the worst time ever, too. I think there have been a lot of worst time evers going around and a lot of folks with unclean lips. But look at Isaiah. Isn't he saying sort of the same thing? 
He's saying, I'm not worthy to do this, right? But here comes God's grace, right? That seraph. And by the way, how many, how many pictures of angels and seraphs have you seen where they had six wings? Can you think of any? Why is that? Anyway, we'll think about that some other time. But God's grace, much like Jesus dying for our sins, bear with me if you look at the metaphor, God's grace comes to Isaiah in the form of a seraph touching his unclean lips with a hot coal and making them clean lips, right? Making them clean lips, just like Jesus' death on the cross makes us clean by atoning for our sins. And then, like Paul, he's sent to proclaim the good news, right? He's sent to proclaim the good news. There at the last part of what I read in 1 Corinthians there, he says, he is preaching just like people preach to him, and he's sent to preach. And again, that's what we are called to do because of God's grace, because of God's grace. You know, it tells us in Titus chapter 2 that God's grace has appeared bringing salvation, bringing salvation. And it doesn't stop there. It says, because we are called to be righteous, sensible, and godly in this world. And we're given task to do. You see, this is one of those places where we can tie in this whole gobbledygook, talk about other denominations and the proliferation of other denominations of works and grace, right? Well, it's both, see. Grace is not opposed to works. It tells us in that passage in Titus that we are called to do good works. We are saved so we can do good works, the good works of proclaiming the kingdom of God to other people. Grace is not opposed to works. It's opposed to earning. It's opposed to earning, right? That's the thing. We don't earn anything. It tells us there what? In Romans 3.24, it's a gift from God. It tells us in Ephesians 2.8, right? We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourself, but it is a gift of God, right? So that none may boast. Grace is not opposed to works. It's opposed to thinking that you're earning something from God. You don't earn anything from God. God gives it to us as a gift as a gift. And that's what we're to go out and proclaim. So I think John Wesley was right. I think when we partake of communion, we partake of God's grace. And it is a means of grace. So as you come to the table this morning, and we remember the Lord, and we remember the Lord, I want you to remember that you're not unworthy. Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. You're very, very valuable. But you've also been called to spread the good news that everybody's loved by God. 
and that the kingdom of God is available to all of us. Amen? Now go in peace, and as you go, go with the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. strong